Have you ever had a time in your life where you were just extremely thirsty? I mean, the kind of thirst where you just had dry mouth because of... How, John 7, I'm sorry, not John 10, John 7, because of how thirsty you were. One of the times that stands out to me was uh, when I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. It was August. We had been out in the field for about 30 days doing training. And the opposition force that had been coming against us had done a really good job of hitting our supply lines so we hadn't been resupplied with food or water for several days. Now, the food part was, was uncomfortable, but that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was not having any new water. Uh, it made us just generally miserable. On a typical day, we walked anywhere from 8 to 10 miles in the hills of Kentucky with about 400% humidity. And after a couple of days of no water, uh, we were really no water resupply. We were almost all the way out. And we got picked up and we were taken back to the battalion resupply section. And when we arrived, we saw water bags hanging uh, in the area. And you could see condensation on the outside of the bag, meaning the bags had ice in them. And at that moment, we wanted water. We were thirsty for water. It wouldn't have mattered what else they would have offered us. None of us would have taken it. We wanted water. We didn't want soda. We didn't want Kool-Aid. We didn't want coffee. We, we wanted cold water because nothing else could have satisfied the, the thirst that we felt on that day. Now, I go through periods of time where I feel like this in my spiritual life. I feel very thirsty for more. Uh, in, the, in these times, I feel dissatisfied in my personal spiritual life, and I feel there's something missing. I've kind of felt this way lately, and, and probably I'm not the only one. I feel safe in saying we all go through times where we feel thirsty and desire more uh, from Jesus, more in our relationship with Him. And these times of dissatisfaction or spiritual thirst, they, they spur us. They're good. They spur us to seek Jesus more. They spur us to push deeper into God's Word. They spur us to pray more, to push deeper into the Gospel, to dig more into God's Word, and just to try to find out what more there might be for us. Now, I believe these times of thirst, they precede real times of spiritual growth in our lives. But the thirst is only good if it leads us to the right place where we can satisfy this thirst and we can quench this thirst. So how do we quench the thirst for more we feel in our spiritual lives? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. John 7, verse 37, page 816 in the Pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. John 7 and 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he said in reference to the spirit whom those believed in him were to receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The title of the message this morning is the fullness of the spirit. Let's pray. Our father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for Jesus uh, and what He has done for us in our life, we thank You, Lord, for His death in our place. The penalty for our sins has been paid. We thank You, Lord, for being able to be born again, given an inheritance, Lord, that's reserved in heaven just for us. We thank You, Lord, for Your Spirit that is poured out upon us and lives within us and empowers us and strengthens us. And Lord, we thank You for the times of thirst that You give into our life that that make us look into and desire the more that You have for us. 
Your word says that you are the God who can do exceedingly abundantly of all that we could ask or imagine. So we know there is always more. Your word says we're to be filled with all the fullness of God. And Lord, I can say for sure for me, I don't feel that's the case all the time. So, Father, I'm glad for the desire for more that would keep me from being complacent and apathetic. Calls me to long for more of what you have for me, more of who you want me to be, more of of the Holy Spirit to to guide me and to change me in my life. Oh, God, today, fill me with your spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Let your Holy Spirit stir up a thirst for more in our lives and let us do what is needed to ensure that we as disciples of Jesus, would live in all the fullness of Your Spirit each and every day of our lives. Guide us and make us Your people who are fully devoted to doing Your will, we ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we see in verse 2 of chapter 7, the Jews were gathered together for the Feast of Booths. This was a seven-day feast where the Jews lived in booths Uh, made of tree branches to commemorate the travels in the wilderness. This was a time of celebration and worship for the people as they remembered what God had done for them in the Exodus. The eighth day of the feast was called the great day of the feast. There was no singing or shouting. On this day, it was a solemn day of repentance. And it was against this backdrop, Jesus stood up and proclaimed that people could come to Him for living water. Those who were thirsty could come to Him for living water. Jesus gives a general invitation to all who thirst to come to Him. Those who thirst and who believe in Him and who come to Him will receive, because this is a call for the Holy Spirit. They can and they will receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now this promise was not fulfilled then because Jesus was not yet glorified. It would not be fulfilled for a while until the day of Pentecost was fully come and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church on that day. Now, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is living water who will satisfy the thirst we feel for more. Well, how does the Holy Spirit satisfy the thirst we feel for more? Well, He does this through His work in our lives. And so I've got a a list of things the Holy Spirit does, and we won't have time to go through all of them. We won't have time to go through any of them in in detail. If you want to write those down and look at that later, study them out. Uh, This is just a, a measure of what it means, the fullness of the Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit produces spiritual fruit in our life. The Holy Spirit teaches us, leads us to all truth from God's Word. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us and makes us like Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of God's love for us. The Holy Spirit gifts us to serve Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers soul winning. The Holy Spirit gives and renews hope. The Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit enables prayer. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual strength. The Holy Spirit gives certainty of salvation. The Holy Spirit shows opportunities to minister to others in the name of Jesus. He does all of this and more. So when we talk about living a Spirit-filled or a Spirit-empowered or a Spirit-controlled life or the fullness of the Spirit, this is part of what we're talking about. Now something important, I think, for us to understand is every disciple of Jesus is meant to live this kind of Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered, Spirit-led life. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Look at what the Bible says. Do not be drunk with wine, 
uh, in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are two commands in this passage. A negative one, don't be drunk, and a positive one, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the major emphasis in this passage is not on the negative command, but on the positive, be filled. The phrase be filled, it has three characteristics. One, it's a command. You and I are commanded by God through His Word to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Since God commands us to be filled with the Spirit, we are obligated to do what we can to ensure we live our lives filled with the Holy Spirit. Since this is a command, it means it is God's will. It is always God's will for disciples of Jesus to be Spirit-filled and thus live in the fullness of the Spirit. We don't ever have to wonder is this God's will for us? It absolutely is. Second characteristic of this command to be filled is it's in the plural form. And what that means is Paul's not talking to a small group of super saints. He's talking to everyone at Ephesus and by extension for everyone in the church at all times. The entire church of Jesus Christ is to be filled with the Spirit. Not just a few, not just some. But every genuine disciple of Jesus is meant to be filled with Spirit. This is what Peter said on the day of Pentecost when he said the gift of the Holy Spirit was for everyone God would call. Every disciple of Jesus has the opportunity, the privilege, and really the responsibility to be filled with the Spirit and to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Everything we see, particularly in the New Testament, about what it says as a part of the Holy Spirit and what He does in us and through us and, and for us is available to every disciple of Jesus. And then a final characteristic of be filled is it's in the present tense. Meaning this isn't something we pray for once and we're done. We need to continually be filled with the Spirit. We need to be being filled with the Spirit. I like how the Amplified Bible translates it. But ever Be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Think of it like filling your car with gas. Just as your car needs to be filled with gas to run effectively, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to run effectively. You wouldn't fill your car once and expect it to run on that one tank of gas forever. Be nice with prices like they are, but that's just not the way the world works. In a similar manner, we cannot expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit today and live in that filling forever. We must continually... Have our spiritual tank refilled. Now we see this. This isn't just my idea. This is all throughout the book of Acts. So actually starting in the book of John. Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said receive the Holy Spirit. So after his resurrection Jesus imparted the Holy Spirit to the 11 disciples. The 11 apostles who were left. But then just a few weeks later on the day of Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then just a. A few weeks later, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, just a few weeks later, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this happens over and over again through the book of Acts. The same eleven who were filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room with Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, were filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. I included these references so we would see it is something we are meant to be continually have done in our lives. We are continually to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we are indwelt 
of the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit once for all times. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is something we need to seek out continually. And we need to seek out the filling of the Holy Spirit continually so we can live in the fullness of the Spirit. And this leads us to our key truth for the day is that every disciple of Jesus is meant to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Every one of us, regardless of how much we know about the Bible, how long we've been born again, if we are generally born again, generally a disciple of Jesus, we are meant. It is what is in some ways our birthright because we've been born again into the family of God. We are meant to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Everything we looked at as part of the fullness of the Spirit, what I mentioned earlier, has been purchased for us by Jesus on the cross and is promised to us by our Father in His Word. Every single disciple of Jesus can live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Not only can every disciple of Jesus live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but Paul's point in Ephesians 5 is we must. So how can we, how can we be sure we live in the fullness of the Spirit? I want to give you a few things. Now these aren't like a program. The Holy Spirit's a person. We can't plug in you know, so much here and then this falls out. It doesn't work that way. But if these things are true of us, these next few things we're going to look at, if these things are true of us, we are positioning ourselves to be filled with the Spirit, positioning ourselves to live in the fullness of the Spirit. So, number one, we must want to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Notice Jesus says those who are thirsty, right? there's a desire for it. Before we can experience and live in the fullness of the Spirit, we must have a genuine desire for it. So let me ask you do, you, do you really want to live in all the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Now, of course, the, the Sunday school answer is yes. Of course, I want to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But, but is that the real answer? Right? Before we give the quick answer, we need to consider the implications of living in the fullness of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, when He leads us and He's controlling our lives, He, he typically wants us to do things. Right? So what if, instead of going out to eat, the Holy Spirit leads us to go home fast and pray for missionaries and then send the money we were going to spend on eating out to missions? I mean, is that something we're willing to do? Or what if we're really busy? And this busyness is hindering our relationship with Jesus or our service to Jesus or just our spiritual lives in general. The Holy Spirit might lead us to stop being involved in so many things so we can focus on a few. Is that something we would be willing to do? Or what if we're not busy enough? What if the Holy Spirit shows us we're spending too much time watching television, taking too many naps or spending too much time on social media? And he wants us to stop these things so we can do other things instead. Is this something we're willing to do? Or what if we go out to eat and the Holy Spirit leads us to ask the waitress if there's waiter or waitress, if there's something we can pray for them about and then leads us to pray for them right there in the restaurant? Is that something we're willing to do? But if the Holy Spirit wants us to go up to someone we know or, or we don't know and talk to them about Jesus. Is that something we're willing to do? Well, there's really no telling 
how many different ways the Holy Spirit could lead us when we're living in all the fullness of the Spirit. But no matter what the situations are, I believe they fall into three broad categories. They will call us to to leave our comfort zone. I can't think of anyone in God's Word who lived in the fullness of the Spirit and stayed in their own comfort comfort zone. In fact, I, I would wonder, and I wonder this about me, not just... I'm not saying y'all get squared away. I'm saying all of us. If we never get out of our comfort zone, I mean, could it actually be said we're living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to leave our comfort zone at the leading of the Holy Spirit? I think uh, another characteristic of what the Holy Spirit would lead us to do is be faithful. Because it would be nice if when we lived in the fullness of the Spirit, everything worked out. Exactly the way we think it ought to work out. Everything we did produced fruit right away. Everyone we prayed for came to Christ. Everyone we shared the gospel with got saved. Everything we felt led to do worked out just beautifully. But it doesn't seem to work this way. Those who live in the fullness of the Spirit often have to keep on keeping on even when things were tough. I mean, if, of course, you could wonder, I wonder if we, if we give up when things get hard, are we living in the fullness of the Spirit? Are we walking in the Spirit in our lives? Are we willing to to live in the fullness of the Spirit and be faithful to hard things for long periods of time, even when we want to give up? And then a final characteristic of living in the fullness of the Spirit would be trust God. Those who live in the fullness of the Spirit always seem to be led to do things bigger than they could accomplish on their own. They had to trust God would do those things they weren't able to do. So, again, I would wonder if if we can accomplish everything we're doing without the Holy Spirit's help, without God's help, are we really living in the fullness of the Spirit? Are we willing to live in the fullness of the Spirit and attempt to do things that require us to trust God through the Spirit to come through for us to such an extent that if He doesn't come through, everything is going to fall apart? Do we really want to live in the fullness of the Spirit? All of us are meant to live in the fullness of the Spirit, but there has to be a a thirst, a desire for it in our lives. Secondly, we must believe we can live in the fullness of the Spirit. Jesus said those who believed in Him, those who believe. As disciples of Jesus, do we really believe it's possible to live in the fullness of the Spirit? Or, Or maybe another way to ask it would be, do we really believe... The Holy Spirit can do all of these things in us, through us, and for us. I mean, do we really believe the Holy Spirit can produce supernatural fruit in our lives? Do we really believe the Holy Spirit can teach us from God's Word? Do we really believe the Holy Spirit can sanctify us and make us more like Jesus? Do we really believe the Holy Spirit can empower us to overcome sin? Do we really believe the Holy Spirit can make us aware of God's love for us so that we never have to doubt? Do we really believe the Holy Spirit can gift us to serve Jesus? Do we really believe the Holy Spirit can empower us for soul winning? That He can give and renew hope? That He can lead us, enable prayer, give spiritual strength, give certainty of salvation, show us opportunities to minister, and so much more? Do we really believe the Holy Spirit can do these things. We must. We must believe. Because what we believe matters. Jesus said what has been called the, 
the rule of the kingdom is that it would be done to us according to our faith. Right? That what would be done in us or through us and for us is according to what we believe God can and will do in us, through us, and for us. Matthew 9 and 29. James says, we often have not because we ask not. So perhaps if we look at what Jesus and James say together, we could say that we have not because we ask not, and we ask not because we believe not. Do we really believe what God's Word describes as being part of the fullness of the Spirit, that this is real? I mean, that those things are all real for our lives. Do we really believe what God's Word describes as the fullness of the Spirit, that all of those things are are possible in all of our lives? Do we really believe that what God's Word describes as being part of the fullness of the Spirit is not just possible for someone out there somewhere, but possible for us? That those things could all be true in me, through me, and for me because of what Christ has done. This dark and dying world desperately needs disciples of Jesus who live in the fullness of the Spirit. And this requires us to believe living in the fullness of the Spirit is possible and available to us. We are all meant to live this way. But we have to believe it's possible. And then finally, we must be ready to serve Jesus in the fullness of the Spirit. The vast majority of what the Holy Spirit does in us, through us, or for us is meant to equip us to serve Jesus. And we probably expect this when we talk about things like being empowered to share the gospel or finding and using our spiritual gifts, becoming like Jesus. But there's more. Everything that's a part of the fullness of the Spirit is meant to equip us to live for Jesus. Let me show you. Produce, Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. Right? We don't often probably think about the fruit of the Spirit in relation to serving Jesus, but the fruit of the Spirit equips us to serve Jesus. So think about the first part of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, this means the, Holy, the kind of love the Holy Spirit produces is the same kind of love Jesus had. So we love the way Jesus loves. Now remember what it means to love the way Jesus loves. It, it means more than loving our families. It means loving our enemies and doing good for them. It means loving people enough to serve them, to put their needs ahead of our own, to sacrifice our time, our comfort, our money, and more for their sake. It, it means sharing the gospel with them because we love them and we can't stand the thought of them dying and going to hell. So if the Holy Spirit were to produce that supernatural love in your life, in my life, would we then be willing to go out and love people in the name of Jesus? And again, not just the people who love us, not just the people we like and want to love, but the difficult, the unloving, those who despise us, who persecute us, who despitefully use us. This is the kind of love the Holy Spirit produces in our life. Are we willing to serve Jesus by loving people in the way He has loved us? And we can go through all of the fruit of the Spirit in this way. 
The fruit of the Spirit is not produced in our lives so we can sit around and talk about how, how good it is to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in our lives so we can go out and serve Jesus with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are we willing to, to serve Jesus through what the Spirit does in us in producing the fruit of the Spirit? Or the Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit will teach us from God's Word. And, and when He does, are we willing to serve Jesus by being a doer of the Word? You know, when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit reveals truth from God's Word, we're, we're meant to do something with it. But we're not, it's not just so that we can think about it, and it's not just so that we can have this more knowledge in our head. It, it is so it can be lived out in our lives. In one way or another, everything God's Word teaches us is meant to be practiced, to be put into motion in our lives. Are, are we willing? If the Holy Spirit shows us, hey, a belief you have is wrong, and here's what you should believe instead. Are we willing to, to change our beliefs? The Holy Spirit says, hey, here's an action you're doing that's wrong. You need to do this instead. Are we willing to change our actions? The Holy Spirit says, hey, here's a value you have, and it's the wrong value. Are we willing to change our values, our priorities, or how we react to stressors? I mean, any number of things, but what He's going to show us from this is meant to be lived out in our lives. Are we ready? Are we willing to do whatever the Holy Spirit would show us from God's Word? And then a final one, the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit gives you power to put to death the deeds and the desires of the flesh. I mean, are we willing to live for Jesus by putting the deeds and the desires of the flesh to death and pursue a life of holiness? Because what this means is not, I mean, this is really very practical. Romans 8.13, we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. We can put it to death through the deeds of the flesh, the power of the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, we can crucify the flesh. As disciples of Jesus, because of the Spirit living within us, and because of His filling in our lives, we, we always have the ability to choose to do what's right. No disciple of Jesus can ever say, I didn't have a choice except to sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 ensures God will not let us be put in that kind of a position. There's always a way out. The Spirit will reveal this way out to us. Are we willing to always take that way out? Listen, we live in an angry world. We live in a world that says just kind of blow up and scream out and act how you want to. And as disciples of Jesus, we often act exactly like the world around us, but we're not meant to. And we have a way out. We don't always have to say the angry thing. We don't always have to act in the angry ways. We don't have to give in to gossip or lust or any of the sins we're tempted by in our life. There is always a way out. But the problem is we like our sins. God help us. We like our sin. We don't like the after effects. We don't like it after it's over. But in the moment... There is the pleasure of sin for the season. And are we willing to say in that moment when we're tempted to sin, to follow the Spirit 
and be and take his empowering and get out of that temptation and do what's right. Because it's always available. It's always there for us as disciples of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will give us the power to overcome sin, but we must be willing to put to death the deeds and the desires of our sinful nature and pursue a life of holiness. And there are, of course, other ways this could be lived out in our lives, but the principle is always the same. If we desire the fullness of the Spirit, we must be prepared to serve Jesus. Imagine again the image of a car being filled with gas. Why do you put gas in a car? Well, to drive it so that it can do what it's supposed to do. If you're going to take a car and park it, never to be used again, do you fill the tank up all the way? Or do you put just enough gas in the tank to get you to your destination? Well, we put just enough gas to get us to the destination. But if we're going to drive it and keep driving it, we fill it up in a similar way. Why would Jesus fill us with His empowering Holy Spirit for us to set Him apart and not serve Him? You'll not find someone living in the fullness of the Spirit who is not actively involved in serving Jesus. D.L. Moody was asked to have a campaign in England. And one of the older pastors in England protested and he said, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated. He's inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And one of the other pastors responded and he said, no, but the Holy Spirit does have a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Does the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on us? Can we say for certain we are living in the fullness of the Spirit today? And if not, we have to ask, why not? Because everything we've talked about today and and more is meant to be a part of the normative life of a disciple of Jesus. The Holy Spirit isn't an extra to be added on to the disciple of Jesus. The Holy Spirit isn't added later to disciples of Jesus. The Holy Spirit works to bring us to salvation. He works in the process of salvation. And He continues the work after salvation. Every disciple of Jesus should be able to recognize the work of the Spirit in their lives every day. So how is the Holy Spirit working in your life today? How is He working to produce the fullness of the Spirit in you today? If you can't point to specific ways the Holy Spirit's at work in your life today... And we're going to have a time of response and use this time to cry out to God and find out what's wrong. Why am I not living in the fullness of the Spirit that is meant to be mine because of what Jesus has done? Use this time to cry out to Jesus to fill you with His living water. And let it be be so filled it would flow out of you. Let's stand. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Those who have never repented of their sins and believed in Jesus for their salvation do not have the Holy Spirit living within them and cannot expect to live in the fullness of the Spirit. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not at work in the life of an unbeliever because He does. 
first work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person is to convict them of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. He does this to make them aware of their need for Jesus. Right now, He is working in your heart and mind. He's calling us to Jesus. To press in, to come for the first time. But we have to respond. If you have never come to Jesus on your own, you have to respond in this moment by repenting, believing, choosing to follow Jesus. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. In repentance, we turn to Jesus from our sin. Then we believe. It's trusting Jesus and Jesus alone is the source of our salvation and our hope. There is nothing else that saves us. Our good works do not save us. Our morality does not save us. Just Jesus. And following Jesus is a commitment to do whatever Jesus wants us to do. Whenever Jesus wants us to do it. And however Jesus wants it to be done. If you have never personally repented, believed and committed to following Jesus. This is where everything must start today. We have a time of of prayer to respond. If you need to repent, believe and commit to follow Jesus. You spend this time doing that. If you need God to search you and try you to find out what's hindering the Spirit's work in your life. You need to do that. If you just want to pray and say, God... I've been complacent. I've been apathetic. Purge me and give me this deep spiritual thirst. If you just want to pray, God, give me more. Then spend the time doing that.